Welcome to Leading from Alignment, a weekly podcast from Converge Coaching, where our passion is to help you lead better, lead longer, and enjoy it more. Hello and welcome again to another episode of Leading from Alignment with our good friend, John Opaluski. How are you today, John? Jim, I'm good. It's good to see you uh, on video today. Yeah, yeah. The... Uh, the, the reason we're on video is, is some people at our church came down with this, uh, this terrible pandemic thing. And so we're, we're just playing it safe, making sure that everybody, you know, on your team and on my team don't uh, cross pollinate our, <laughs> our, our, our bad stuff. So, but it is good to see. It's nice to spend some time with friends, you know? Yeah, it is. Good. It really is. So today, tell us about our topic. Yeah, Jim, I wanted us to talk about uh, this idea or the subject of rebuilding teams, uh, specifically thinking about churches at this point. I I think every pastor I have talked to in the last two months have told me pretty much the same thing. John, we're having a hard time getting everybody back reengaged in terms of serving. And and Jim, I, I don't know, maybe you're the exception to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's let's just let's just let everybody believe that. Our everybody came right back the very first week we opened. <laughs> so, uh, I, so I thought, you know, as we find ourselves regathering in church, that we should probably talk about this uh, yeah. on the on the podcast, you know. And uh, I, I thought it would be helpful to talk about how do we rebuild that force in our churches, that non the non paid teams, yeah. the volunteer force. At our churches, and I'd like to kind of switch it up today, if that's okay with you. Um, I'd like to interview you today. Is that Great. all right? I love the sound of my own voice, so this this should be fine. All right. So, Jim, <laughs> several years ago, you wrote a great book called "Why Is Greater Than What," yeah. and it really is uh, germane, I think, to the subject at hand today. Um, tell us a little bit about the book, and and then I want to dive into the six key principles okay. that you kind of outline or unpack in the book. So tell us a little bit about it. How did it, you know, how did it happen? How did you get the yeah, idea for it? It goes back about about thirty years before there was the language "why is greater than what" and how to find your purpose through asking questions about your passion, pain, and proficiency. We'll get to that in a, in a minute. But it started on a ski retreat. I would take an annual ski retreat with the kids in my youth group, and we'd have you know, 20 to 50 of us, depending on which retreat it was. And my goal was over the three uh, days that we were there, uh, we would all get on this really long ski lift that went all the way to the top of the Apache White Mountains. Beautiful lift, um, beautiful mountain scene, you know, crunchy snow, zero degrees, but the sun was warm enough that you almost didn't need a jacket. It's just no atmosphere up there. It's wonderful in the altitude. And as soon as our skis would leave the snow on that ski lift, the two-person lift, I'd say, so 10 years from now, I run into you at the mall. And I say, how are you doing? And he said, Jim, I'm, I'm living the life of my dreams. Just tell me about that life. Mm-hmm. And they begin to tell me the things that, that were on their heart. They wanted to do this or they weren't sure. Or, and those that knew, I just listened. And I, I considered that my assignment. There were you know, Ephesians 4, uh, 11, that God gives you know, the pastoral gift to develop God's people for, to prepare them for works of service. So that was my assignment was to prepare them during that season as a youth pastor to be who they who in their heart they believed that they were supposed to be. But also what came out of it was people that say, I really don't know. And I just started asking them questions like, well, you could do anything. And failure wasn't an option. And God would bless your plans. What would it be? And, and it came down to three questions that, that uh, became the, the basis of why is greater than what? So in the book, Jim, you kind of unpack 
uh, six principles that I think are really important for us to understand. We're gonna talk about those three questions in just a minute, but I think these uh, principles really kind of set the, really set the, the, the table for yeah. us to understand those three questions much, much better. So why don't you, what, what's one of the, the six principles, yeah. James? I think looking at these principles, these are universal. So if you're talking okay. to a, a middle-aged person, if you're talking to a teenager, if you're talking to somebody that's 90 years old and, and is considering how they're going to spend the last 10 years of their life, these questions are pertinent. And these points, these truths are pertinent. The number one is this. Everybody has a why. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 says we're God's workmanship. Uh, that word workmanship is poema. We are, we are a handwritten sentiment. We're words that took on flesh. Uh, we are the poems of God. And we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared in advance for us to do. So that's, that's every living soul on the planet, regardless of capability, nationality, gender, race, regardless of anything. Every person was created with God's dream, with God's purpose mm. in mind. So for us to say, it isn't like God had a bunch of people and then had to find something for them to do. There was something for them to do. So God created people and prepared in advance them and the work so that when they converged, I thought I'd throw that word converge in there for you, Chad. Yeah, when they converged, that. there'd be this moment where David hears the voice of a giant and realizes he's more than a shepherd, where Moses mm. sees a burning bush and realizes he's, he's more than just a, an exiled murderer, where, there, where who we are connects with that moment that God's prepared us for and created us for. Yeah. So everybody has a why. The second thing is those who haven't found their why, they haven't found their way. Um, they, they complain more than the average person because they're dissatisfied. They're a little less engaged than the average person because yeah. they, they haven't found that thing that really makes them make sense. Um, they're not at all bad people, but understanding, why does this guy gripe so much? Is, you know, people that are rocking the boat generally don't have an oar in their hand. You know, people that are rowing the boat don't rock it. People that rock oh. it generally aren't rowing it. And, and to have that, they're dissatisfied and it isn't your fault. They just haven't found out who they are where yeah. they fit, what they're supposed to be doing. Because once it's, once they go from being like an employee or a volunteer to a partner, to an equal right. share partner, it, it just changes everything. And there won't be partnership without really a sense of I belong here, who, mm -hmm. who I am belongs here, what I do is important here, it has yeah. a value. So, Jim, um, if I could for just a yeah. minute, I think that's such a such an important uh, thought that you just said that I think sometimes as leaders, when when people are rocking the boat, uh, we quickly label them. Yeah. Troublemaker, uh, rebel, yeah. yeah, immature. And, and maybe sometimes that's true. Yeah. But I wonder how often it is exactly what you said. They haven't found their why. Yeah. And, um, and that's why. And, and I, I wonder if we would have better luck as leaders if we took that. That was our first response, right? Is maybe. Yeah they haven't found their why yet. And that's why they're behaving the way they are. I tell you, John, the first thing I do when someone's complaining is I ask myself the question, is this a season of spiritual adolescence? Mm. Because there is no such thing as an adolescent that doesn't question his parent. Yeah. That, that's part of becoming an adult. So mm. often when people are saying, why don't we do it this way? Or why did you do it that way? Or why at my last church, we used to, you know what I mean? Sometimes it is, it's comparison. Sometimes it's division. It's, it's a different vision. But sometimes it's somebody that's preparing, they're asking the right questions to do. There's no such thing as a satisfied 25-year-old living in his mother's basement. No such thing. I, I'm, I'm not saying they're not there. I'm saying they can't possibly look at their life and go, this is what I was dreaming on the ski lift with my youth pastor 10 years ago. Yeah. So they're, 
there is a reason why tensions flare up when young men are in the homes of their fathers too long or young women are in the homes of their mothers too long. We're supposed to go out on our own. We're supposed to be independent. So in some ways, when people start complaining about, you know, the volume of the music, that's not the kind of stuff I'm talking about. Why don't right. we disciple more? Often mm -hmm. what they're telling me is God has a call on their life to be a discipler, but yeah. there's no place to express it here. And, and if we could just take that passion or that pain and funnel it in a, in a productive direction, recognizing that God's leading them, even though their, their mouth seems like, you know, we're doing all that we can and they're still complaining. But mm -hmm. sometimes that's just, that's just them saying, I'm ready for the next level. Would you open a door for me to go there? Awesome. Thanks yeah. for taking a minute to push up on that. Uh, you've got a few more here. Why don't you give us the next one? Yeah, God, God has hidden clues of our why for us, not from us. And we'll get back to that in a minute. How, how do we find where those clues are and what that might lead us to? And uh, those who find their why and live from it get to live abundant lives. Nobody is happier than the man or woman who's living and whose life is the exact same thing. I, Mark Twain mm. said it best, because find what you love and you'll never work another day as long as you live. That's right. You know? uh, another Mark Twain statement that's one of my favorites is there's two great days in a person's life, the day they're born and the day they figure out why. Yeah. You know, why, why am I here? So um, I'd say this though, the fifth thing is that leaders are called to help people uh, find find their why it, uh, again back to ephesians chapter 4 it's god that gave us apostles and prophets evangelists pastors and teachers to prepare and that word prepare doesn't mean to just to teach it means to lead it means to mold it means to guide it means to rebuke it you know to prepare them for their ministry for their works of service and if we're not careful john and and in, in a I think we're kind of getting over the, 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 the mega church dream. I think, I think by and large, not, there's absolutely nothing wrong and absolutely nothing right with a certain number of people that gather in a building on a Sunday. So putting that aside, I think when the dream was, I want to have a stadium-like setting with you know 25,000 people that gather every Sunday, I, I think most people have kind of disconnected from that uh, illusion, mm -hmm. if you will. But I, if we're not careful with, with, a multi, with, a, with a huge church mindset, what will happen is we'll pervert our purpose in people's lives. We'll begin to use them to build our ministry. Mm. And Paul says our ministry is to build them. Jesus could have built a multi-million you know, person congregation and built a, you know, a temple-like setting and structure and multiple service. And again, nothing wrong with any of those things. That's, that's not right. the point of the statement. But he chose rather to help, you know, 12 people find Christ and then find who Christ made them to be and then mm. release them to be that. And in the end, I think we can all agree that a million person church would have died as soon as the leader was gone. But, right. but a 12 person discipleship group continues to to build the body of Christ today. So, yeah, and, so, and so the last thing is just, you know, we have conversations with people um, trying to help them figure out their why and it comes down to three questions that we ask is this a good time to get to jump to that yeah let's do that jim okay so it, it's it's it rhymes and it and it starts with the same letter <laughs> so it's easy all right good I, I ask them what is your passion what is your pain and what is your proficiency and i know people are writing this down so what's your passion what's your pain and what's your proficiency? So I'll, I'll start by saying, what are you most passionate about? And they'll say, oh, you know, I, I really like music, or I really like people, I love teaching, I, I, I'm passionate about sales, or marketing, or medicine, or being a dog catcher, I'm, I'm passionate about it. So what is the thing you do, when you're done doing what you have to do, 
what is it, what is it that you do because you just want to do it? Mm -hmm. um, people that, that are school teachers at my church that, that then come on the weekend and volunteer to teach children, I know what their passion is. Right. It is because nobody ever gets into teaching for the money and the fame. They either love kids and they have the capacity to continue to love them on the weekend or they just cannot wait, you know, for, for Friday <laughs> to get yeah. here. They, they hate their job. This is why back in the 70s and 80s, all the teachers' lounges were filled with empty cans that smelled strangely not like the soft drinks <laughs> that were in there and tobacco. Remember the, remember the couches in the teachers' lounge? You, yes. You'd hit them with your hand and, and you know, tobacco dust would come flying out of them. There's a fog that came out of the teachers. They're not very happy, you know, you could, but there are those that they, they were still with the students. They didn't go to the lounge. They wanted to be with the kids. So right. what's your passion? Second question is what's your pain? What is it that thrills you? And what is it that kills you? Um, when I'm asking people about, you know, volunteering at the church, and I say, you know, what do you want to do? And, and they say, well, whatever you want me to do. Nope, doesn't work that way. It doesn't matter what yeah. I want you to do. I, I'm not going to recruit you. I want to release you. I want to find out who you are and what, and, and I tell you what, if you're passionate about this, you're passionate, let's go back to children. You're passionate about children and there's a pain in your heart because man, there are kids that just don't know the gospel or they, they, they don't have uh, stable adults in their lives and, and it's killing you. You just can't go worship God in the sanctuary and have your time when you know there's kids on the other side of the building that in a room that's inadequately staffed, it would just kill you. So I think we've done a great disservice um, just kind of culturally by trying to remove all pain. The, the late night commercial comes up uh, about the kid that's hungry, uh, the dog that's shivering in the cage, or the, the child that was born with special needs and is in a hospital and needs our help. It's so, we're so quick to change the channel and, yeah. and go look at any other commercial because we don't really want to be affected. Uh, and we can say manipulated. I think sometimes there is an element of manipulation. With a dog shivering in the cage, you know, with the arms of the angels being sung in the background, mm. you know, it's in slow motion, like, don't, no, yeah, you're manipulating me. But right. to remove all pain from my life is to actually remove one of the greatest accesses to the supernatural, the superpowers, wow. to commitment beyond passion. If I'm passionate, John, yeah. and I succeed, I'll quit. If I'm passionate and I fail, I'll quit. But if I'm in pain, I have, I have, by embracing that pain, I've removed uh, the luxury of any other option but continuing. You know, Jim, it's, it, and it's that component of this why is greater than what uh, three questions that I think is so unique. Um, you know, I've heard the, I've heard some version of the combination of your passion and your proficiency and, yeah. and not necessarily in those words, yeah. but the pain element of it, I think is, is unique. And I, you know, I, I think that I am doing what I do today in a large part because of the pain I've suffered yes. in my life and the, and the pain I feel for other people who are suffering in a similar fashion, yeah. uh, if that makes sense. And, um, you know, you said it this way one time, and I, I thought this was so uh, great the way you put it. If you could eradicate one thing in the world, yeah. what would you eradicate? And that taps into the pain yeah. uh, part of the equation here. So that's that's so fascinating, uh, Jim. There's a there's another piece to it. Uh, would you uh, uh, just yeah. share that well, with us? The last one's just your proficiency. So what's your passion? What's your pain? What's your proficiency? What what thrills you? What kills you? And what fills you? Those would be a, a different way of asking the same question. And sometimes people say, you know, I, I, you're, what is it you do naturally that other people would have to work very hard at 
to not be half as good as you are. Some people yeah. pick up musical instruments and they just start playing them. And the rest of us that took lessons for eight years hate them. You know, that, that's not fair. <laughs> the reason I have no talent is because that guy obviously got in line twice and, and stole mine in my opportunity, right? There's people that, you know, you go to Mexico and they start speaking Spanish. I, I, you know, mm. have you taken for it? No, I just, I'm listening and then I'm repeating and I'm, I, I had a girl in my youth group. She used to sit down. Like one of, the, one of our main outreaches to children in the third world was Debbie Bielstein. Debbie had this long red hair and she just had this natural gift with kids. And she would sit down and she began to brush her hair. And 20 little girls from, from out of the jungle, out of the desert, out of the mountains, wherever we were, would come and start braiding her hair or combing it. And she could just, she just began to speak the languages because the children would teach her what the word was or yeah. what the phrase, just so good. I would sit down, now keep in mind I'm bald, but, but if, if, I, if I sat down, the kids you know, stayed away from me. But when Debbie sat down, it was a magnet. And yeah. you know, sure enough, she went on to work with children and it was obvious to all of us. She was proficient at it. So, but he, here's the thing. It, when someone says, I want to serve in your church, or you look at your teams and you could ask your team this question, what, almost like erasing the, the chalkboard of who's yeah. doing what and say, what are, what are you passionate about? Are you doing that? What, what is it that, that's killing you? Are, you? are you doing something about that? What is it you're good at? Are you using that? And here's, here's the wrong language. I've never found the right language for it. But if I recruit somebody to work in my children's ministry because I need a certain ratio of adults to kids to create a safe environment. If, if they say yes, because after 14 pulpit announcements, 18 bulletin announcements, and the email blast we sent out, after we said, if you put your kid in, in children's ministry, you have to serve in it once a month. And they've seen all this, they finally say, okay, I'll do it. If they do it, uh, I kind of owe them a favor yeah. because they filled in a blank and, and they're not going to stay there and they're not going to be happy. They're more than likely they're going to be there because they're just faithful people with a gift of servanthood. They're probably burning themselves out. Now they're not in worship with their family. They're not, you know, they're, they're coming to two services instead of one. They're, they're involved in ways that maybe God hasn't given them the grace to be in. But if, if I talk to somebody, I say, what are you passionate about? They say, kids. What, what, is, what, you, what causes you pain? They say, kids. What are you good at? They say, kids. Now I say, well, listen, I've got a ministry for you. Yeah. I think they do a wonderful job. They're going to show up early. They're going to stay late. And, and again, here's the wrong language. I don't owe them a favor. They actually kind of owe me a favor because I was the one that allowed them. I released them into ministry, the ministry of their heart. And so I'll never forget the day Pastor Jim asked me to serve in the children's ministry. I was so excited. I was so nervous. I was so scared. And here we are 12 years later, and I love every day of it. Those are the people you want. So as we're reengaging our teams, I think it's okay to, to reassess yeah. whether we have the right people in the right seats on the bus for this season. I think it's okay to, to ask them, are you still passionate or have you ever been yeah. passionate about this? Are you still in pain? Have you, mm -hmm. Are you still proficient in these areas? And by creating a culture where people can, can follow their hearts into what they were created to do, oh man, it's just a different world. I, we, <laughs> it's kind of, a, kind of a funny thing, but we had about 200 people we, as we're reopening, uh, you know, our numbers are certainly down attendance is down. That we had about 200 people, 200 adults at, at one of our morning services. 97 of them were volunteers. Wow. 97 people showed up because they were, they were committed to what they'd volunteered to. And 103 people showed up to go to church. So yeah. that's, that's the, I don't know what would have happened without the 97 people because they had to take people to their seats and they had to sanitize the building before and after. And they had to work in you know, all the various ministries that, that, were, that were functioning that day. But I, I think people want to do more than go to church. And there will be, a, there will be an eventual dissatisfaction 
but the Christianity that only tells them what not to do. Yeah. Sooner or later, we have to release people to do what they were created to do. Yeah. So everybody has a why. And, yeah. and releasing people into that why in a local church expression, 90 minutes a week or, you know, whatever that is a month, um, whatever that is a year, brings so much satisfaction to people's lives. I'm not asking them for a favor. Um, I'm releasing them into their destiny. As their pastor, finding who they are, what they're created to do, releasing them to do it. I, I'm, I don't owe them a favor. I'm actually fulfilling my role as a pastor teacher in the body of Christ, watching them fulfill their role as a servant in the body of Christ. Yeah. So, John, thank you so much for uh, sharing that uh, with us today and with everybody who's listening. You know, the thing that I really uh, I feel is such an important piece of it is this, this conversation that we've had today is a conversation that you've had and a lot of people who lead at your church have had yeah. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And part it's become culture. part of your culture. It's yeah. part of the DNA. And that's really my hope. And I think it's both of our hopes for those that are listening today that these mm -hmm. kind of conversations will become part of their they culture because yeah. long-term uh, it's a slower way to build, but yeah. long-term it's a, it's a more sustainable uh, yeah. way to build a more effective way to build. If I say one last thing, evangelism is leading people to Jesus. When we yeah. evangelize, we lead them to Jesus. Discipleship is leading them to themselves, who mm -hmm. it is that God created them, the, the poem that they are. Yeah. And, and so we have conversations that go like, what did God save you from? As soon as they get saved, what did God save you from? What's your testimony? And then immediately as part of that same conversation, what do you think God saved you for? Pivoting yeah. from I've been forgiven to I actually have a destiny. Have a purpose. It's so crucial to discipling because we say join up, join up for our class. It starts in you know three months. <laughs> it, right. You can't. People people are born again, ready to serve. Yeah. And and so what did God save you from? What do you think God saved you for? What's your passion, pain, proficiency? And and we work towards releasing them into those things. So Jim, that kind of gives us a nice segue into uh, our next podcast. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to talk about how to increase your team's engagement. So. I think we, we hit on, um, you know, today releasing, right? Yeah. What do we do after we release? You know, yeah. how do we help them to uh, grow, develop? Yeah, because I believe this, that our teams are the most important asset in the organization we lead. Absolutely. We lead. And, but it's only true if they're engaged uh, yeah. in, in their work, engaged in their role. So that's what we're going to talk about uh, in pod 57 so if you've been listening today and uh, wondering hey how come john's interviewing jim it's because jim is the expert in this area and uh and he's proven this uh model it works and it's worked for him for 30 plus years and so that's why we wanted to lay that out for you today we hope that you found it helpful thanks for listening and we can't wait for you to be back with us again as we lead from the life.